Amen, and welcome again this morning. Um, we're all familiar with vital signs for our physical body, but what I'd like to speak about today is how can we understand what the vital signs are in the life of the church. And I brought a few instruments with me today that kind of help check our vital signs. I've got this little uh, wrist blood pressure cuff. It's not as accurate as some you could put on your arm, but uh, it does work. And I take this with me when I'm traveling, just kind of keep a check on things. And then we uh, were keeping our grandkids uh, these last couple of weeks. Our daughter was in and son-in-law. And um, back about two months ago, it was in June, so yeah, uh, when Bible school was in, they were staying with us. One of the little guys got sick, Zane, and uh, he was running a fever and everything. And I wanted to find uh, something to check his temperature other than a device that I needed to stick in one of his orifices um, or under his arm. So I bought one of these, uh, which is a temple uh, thermometer. So I'm just going to check it out here if it works. Do, 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 do. There we go. 98.4. Not bad, not bad. Um, now, here's, oh my, this is scary. This is, a, this is a pulse ox meter that checks your oxygen saturation in your blood through your finger. Well, my oxygen level is really good. It's 98. This scares me a little bit. You know what my heart rate is right now? It's, it's fluctuating between 145 and 150. So if you think preaching is easy, I'm telling you, you try it. I mean, it's like a workout. You know, some, some people make fun of pastors that go home and take a nap in the afternoon, but you have no idea. And, and this is also for those of you who think us pastors are just calm and collected and never get nervous. Oh, I think my heart rate shows you. <laughs> but I trust God through it all. But it's nice to have these devices so that we can check uh, things about our physical health and the vital signs in our body, again, like blood pressure and body temperature, respiratory rates, all those things. But what about in the life of the church? What are the signs of a healthy church? So I'd like for us to look at that today. And we're gonna look at one particular passage. It's in Acts chapter two. But just before we get there, I want us to understand something and just remind you, most of you know this, but if you're still kind of checking out this whole church thing, religious thing, you're skeptical, whatever, I've been there. Uh, even though I grew up in a pastor's home, trust me, I ask questions of like, why do we believe what we believe? And how do I know that what dad talks about is even true? Because I see what he's like at home. And No disrespect. None of us are perfect, just forgiven. I did see a lot of good things in both my parents along with the flaws. And that's what helped me to learn about the authenticity of our faith. We have to be real about who we are and uh, honest about that. But more than anything else, God's will and God's desire for us is that we enter into a life-changing relationship with him. It's out of his love and he offers it to us. And in his wisdom, he gives us the free will to choose. So we can choose whether we accept that love and forgiveness and grace, or we can choose to reject it. But he does give us that choice. So the way to God is not through rules and regulations or religion. It's not through Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Greek Orthodox, Islam, Buddhism, you know, on and on it goes. I could name it all. It's only through Jesus Christ, his son. And when we begin to take the focus off of Christ and put it on our particular uh, system through which we might worship Christ, we, we get in trouble. 
Here's what the scripture says. There's many places, but I just picked out this one because it speaks so clearly. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, because I think it gets to the heart of what Christ's church is or who we are, but also remembering who we're to represent in the world and what he's called us to do and be as his church. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, and or she, when it says that, it's implying he or she, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now again, God gives us free will, so we need to choose each day, am I gonna live by this new nature that God has put within me if you've opened your life to Christ and asked him to come in to your life? Or we can choose each day to kind of fight against that nature and follow the old sin nature or uh, something else. But if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's what the church is all about, is this thing of reconciliation. How can we communicate the fact that God desires to be reconciled to us and he wants us to be reconciled to him and here's what he's done about it. And so now it's part of our ministry, it's the whole focus of our ministry of sharing this message with the world. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's it. He is the one way of reconciliation. There's not 20 different ways to be reconciled. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Notice it's whose ambassador we are to be, not the ambassador for our denomination, our political viewpoint, um, our worldviews, though all those things you know, carry some weight in the world, but our job as followers of Christ is to be an ambassador for Christ and Christ alone, first and foremost. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, and this is what I hope you will hear today, and since in my heart, my spirit, as I'm speaking this message, as Christ's ambassador, I'm appealing to you as though God himself were making his appeal through me because I believe he is, otherwise I wouldn't be up here. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's really it. That's why you hear us say over and over again at Porterfield, we're all about loving people, love them right where they're at, not asking them to change immediately so that then we'll love you, but just love you where you're at, but understand we love you enough to help lead you to somebody who truly can give you a life fulfilling change. And it only comes through Christ, it's through Jesus Christ. So we wanna love you and in that love, we wanna lead you to Jesus because Jesus alone is the one that really brings the life change. We're willing to be his instruments and help with that and be his hands and feet and voice and all of those things. But it's only the spirit of Christ that really helps a person to be reconciled with God and enter into that relationship. Well, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he told his closest followers this. It's recorded in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So literally Christ is saying, I'm gonna give you my spirit. I'm gonna go back up into heaven, but I'm, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit presence into the world, into your soul, into your spirit. I wanna work in and through you in the world to accomplish my will 
because that's the way it's gonna get so much more done than me just walking around and running everywhere from this continent to that continent. I'm just gonna fill you with my spirit as my church and where you're placed, serve me. And that way you're joining me in this work of reconciliation. Well, this prophecy that Jesus spoke to his closest followers, again, after he was crucified and after he rose again from the dead, no small feat, and before he ascended up into heaven, this is what he spoke. And now we see in Acts chapter 2, a little bit later on, the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus spoke. And it began to happen at an annual Jewish festival, a holiday called Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we see this. Peter, who was one of Christ's followers, who had denied Jesus three different times while Jesus was arrested because of fear. Peter was afraid. If, if they've arrested Jesus and they're going to crucify him, what are they going to do to me as a follower? So he actually denied even knowing Jesus because he was fearful of what would happen to his life. But now that Christ's Holy Spirit had entered him as Jesus had prophesied, and not only Peter, but others, in spite of the cultural um, attacks on followers of Jesus, now they're filled with boldness and they're standing right out in the, in the streets and they're talking about Jesus. And it happened at this holiday. Now, here recently, here in this area, we've had the Belpre homecoming, the Parkersburg homecoming. Um, here coming up in September is going to be the Sternwheel Festival, which by the way, our praise band, our praise band is going to be there doing music that morning. So if you want to go and, and worship there, join others, that'd be great. Uh, that's at eight o'clock. You can still make it back here for the services here at Porterfield. But, but I do wanna encourage you. But, but if you've ever been to the Sternwheel Festival, there's a lot of people that come to that every year with all the activities and everything. So imagine it's kind of like that, only a lot bigger. And now here is Peter standing in the middle of this culture and being totally counter-cultural to them. A guy who was afraid about his faith and what they might do to him. It would, it would be like me or you or somebody standing in the middle of the Sternwheel Festival out in the streets saying, hey, you all, you know, you all have uh, done wrong against God and you have sinned and you've missed it, but God loves you and he sent Christ to die for you and he wants you to turn from your evil, wicked ways and turn to Christ and be saved. And, now, and, and I hate to say it, but there's people that make fun of street preachers. And they shouldn't because they, they got the same spirit and boldness that the Holy Spirit gave to Peter and the people that day. But there's so many that are unwilling to do that. And I know for some people it's, it's weird and it's a turnoff. God speaks, though, to people in different ways. Some people need that gentle, reasonable voice. Other people need someone to just get in their face and say, you're flat out wrong and you need to change. And that's why God uses all of these methods. But the point is, just as that would be unlikely to, to, for us to do that there, this is what Peter was doing. I want you to see the relevance of what we're talking about here. So this is what Peter said that was totally countercultural to the time and even in the face of opposition from a government that had just crucified Christ, though they didn't really crucify him. He gave his life. That was the method. But if he didn't want to die, he could have snapped his fingers, spoke a word, or even went and everybody would have been wiped out and he could have come down off that cross. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and I and for the world. And that's why he went through it and then he conquered death and rose again and that's the hope that we have in him. So Peter said to them, repent 
That means change your ways, change the direction you're going, have a new way of thinking, adopt a new worldview because your worldview is not in line with God. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, salvation is not only a gift, the forgiveness that we get from God is not only a gift, but his presence in our lives, the presence of Christ coming into our soul and spirit is a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when we open our life and ask Christ to forgive us and truly believe he is the son of God and we ask him to come in, it's our way, again, we're using our free will and we're receiving that gift that God is offering. So when you pray or we pray, and we ask Jesus to come into our heart. If you don't get that, we're obviously not asking Jesus to come down from heaven, take on bodily form, jump into our body and getting in our heart. That's not what we mean. It's talking about opening your soul, your spirit to Christ's spirit. You're inviting him to come in. I love the song that we sang right before the message. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I love that song because he is, this is his church. Why would he not be welcome here? If he wouldn't be welcome here, what a, well, just we wouldn't be a church. So this is where life begins and it's what keeps us going. And then he goes on and he says, this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. So we're still seeing this prophecy being fulfilled today because we're far off from this point and yet here we are, not Jewish people, who have opened our lives to Christ and he's changing our lives and we've received that gift of his Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I gotta just stop there for a second. Because we, as followers of Christ or um, people who want to try to honor God with our life, we look around us and we see things happening in our culture. And it's not only here in Western culture in America, but around the world really. And we see things that really trouble us. And we say, man, things are getting pretty perverse. They're just getting twisted. Everything that, you know, we've grown up for centuries and the generations that have propelled the human race uh, to where it is today, good or bad, we're abandoning all that stuff. We're turning everything upside down and saying, none of that applies anymore. And we're doing all this social experimentation with marriage and sexuality and gender identity and it's just bringing a lot of confusion. And here again, every time I say words like this, I know I run the risk, it's gonna be on Facebook, it's gonna be out there, and then I you know, can get emails or whatever, because I don't do Facebook, because I know what kind of feedback I'd get on Facebook. <laughs> you know, he's a bigot, he's a racist, he's whatever. Well, fine, you can say whatever you want about me. Doesn't make it true, because God knows my heart. And God knows your heart. So we gotta be firm and we gotta look at God's word and we gotta not be afraid. We don't have to be abusive about it, but you just don't be afraid to take a stand. So that's what the world needs. That's what God wants. It's what Christ calls us to. So as Peter was doing this and people were coming to him, he, he just cautioned them. He, and here's the point, that phrase that he used, a perverse generation, so the stuff that we're going through in our culture today isn't new. This is not new stuff. The world has dealt with it from way back. If you actually would take the time, now m many of you maybe do, but this is for whoever out there. <laughs> if you're always saying, well, is that in the Bible? Does the Bible say that? Well, if you just take the time to read it, <laughs> I would encourage you. And even if you're a New Testament person, 
praise God, we're under the new covenant, that's right, but you can learn from the Old Testament and you can learn why the New Testament is relevant because of what happened in the Old Testament. And it's in the Old Testament that we find how perverse culture has always been. Homosexuality has always been around. God has always spoken to it. God has always addressed it. We've gotten to a point today, though, where we want to shuck that all aside because nobody reads the Bible. Nobody sees how it, what God did back then and what, he, what he, God hasn't changed. Oh, I know, I'm getting in deep now. And my intent is not, I say this in love, I really do. My intent is not to hurt someone's feelings. But you know, when, when, when you go to the doctor and he sees symptoms in your body that is not healthy and he points it out and he says, you know, this isn't really healthy, this is not good. Do you whine and complain and do you leave and do you tell everybody what a terrible doctor that is? The doctor is telling it to you because he cares about you or she cares about you and wants you to be able to take steps to get it right. The problem is in our culture, we don't wanna accept the symptoms of social illness and sickness. We wanna say it's okay, it's not a sickness, it's not an illness, and I'm just fine, thank you very much. And what is happening is we're being deceived by the enemy and he's dragging us down to death. So in the church, there needs to be life vital spiritual life and there are vital statistics that need to be relevant to us if we're going to truly understand what real life is and again you have the choice i'm not forcing you to listen to this message if you're watching online you've probably already turned it off if you don't agree with me or if you're listening to it after the fact you can stop it so one of the things people appreciate about these messages being archived because they can just fast forward and i'm done in five minutes but, you know, maybe if you do that, you just might miss something that God's wanting to speak to your heart. Because, again, it's free will. It's choice. You decide whether God's using it or not. Oh, I'm way off. <laughs> perverse generation. There was a perverse generation back then. There's a perverse generation now, and the message is the same. Come out from it. Be saved from it. For goodness sake, for Christ's sake. Come out of that and get with God and what he wants for your life because it is so much better than what the world is offering. Okay, so now let's get into the vital statistics. So now we see the response to this message and we'll get into this now. Then those who gladly receive the word, there it is. They didn't get offended by it. They didn't say you're wrong and we're right. They listened, God spoke to their heart and they were like, this makes sense. It's, it's painful to hear, but it makes sense and they gladly received the message. Those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, the first megachurch in the world. We talk about megachurches today, and we think it's a current trend, uh-uh. God started out with a megachurch on that first day, 3,000, boom. Peter was the pastor of the megachurch. <laughs> And it continued to grow and imagine all these people from all these different cultural backgrounds because it wasn't just Jewish people that were coming into Christ's church. Read your Bible, read the New Testament. It brought all kinds of challenges because the Jewish people that had grown, well, this is the way we've always done it. And now here's all these people coming in that weren't raised the way we are. And I know they say they're a Christian and following Christ, but I don't like that. And there you go. That's why you read the New Testament because these challenges that you hear today and we face today in the church have always been around. 
but Christ wants to guide us through it. It's why we gotta keep looking at these vital statistics. So we're gonna, these next few verses here are gonna help us see what are, we're gonna get some clues from this and a glimpse of the early church and what the vital statistics or uh, vital signs, sorry, the vital signs are in the, in the early church because they still apply today. Here we go in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. This is not fear like, oh, we're doomed. It was a reverential respect because they saw in the midst of this culture and this persecution that was coming, they realized, God, you know, we we respect you, we reverence you, so we want to follow you. In fact, in the early church, we see a, a married couple who sold some of their property and they went to the church leaders and they said, hey, we know everybody's trying to help each other out. So we sold some property and here's all the proceeds of that property. That's what they told the leaders. But the Bible says they actually held part of it back for themselves. They wanted to look spiritual for the church. They wanted to say, oh, look what we're doing for the church, but their heart wasn't right. They were, they were hypocrites. They were putting on a show and they weren't sincere about it. And they were called on it and God stroked, struck both of them dead, the husband and the wife. Now you talk about church discipline. You wanna sign up for that? But God's serious. He's serious about his church. He's serious about authenticity. So, you know, when, when people who are not believers today gripe about hypocrisy in the church and double standards, well, God cares about it too and he doesn't like it. Now, thankfully, he's very patient with us and gracious. Thankfully, he doesn't strike us dead or I would have probably been dead 20 times over by now. But the point is he knows our heart and he's serious about it. And, and God, you, it's like the analogy of a parent. If you really love your kids, you're going to discipline them. When you see them doing something wrong, you do something to correct that behavior because you love them, not because you're mean and you don't like them, the very opposite. You love them and you want better things for their life and you hope they will see that and then make those choices. So it involves some painful discipline. Well, that's how God is in his church. He is serious about his church. So there are times that he will allow things to come into our life that bring pain to us. I'm not saying every bad thing that happens to you is a punishment from God or a discipline, but we need to have wisdom because sometimes it actually is. Sometimes God is saying, I, I hate that you're gonna have to go through this, but you need to learn this lesson. So I'm gonna let you experience the pain. Please listen to me, trust me through this. I love you, I wanna bring you through it. And I hope you'll learn the lesson on the other side. And sometimes we don't learn the lesson till we've suffered and suffered and suffered because God is not like a school system and this is not a critical thing. It's just an analogy, so don't read more into this. But God is not like a school system that's just gonna pass you into the next grade whether you know the material or not and just say you passed. He wants you to learn. And so he, you're gonna keep coming up against the same roadblock, boom, 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 until you learn the lesson and then finally the roadblock's going and then you'll hit the next roadblock. <laughs> It'll be the next lesson. But this is how God works because he wants us to mature spiritually. So fear came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. 
God's Holy Spirit was at work, and I'm gonna talk more about that in a moment in, in the life of the church. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among uh, anyone as anyone had need. I referenced that a moment ago. That was one of the things they did in the early church. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we get a glimpse. Now, what I'm going to do today, this is just an introductory type message, but we're going to look at the five vital signs. And then my hope and my prayer is, and my plan is, that as we move into September, October, we're going to spend a few Sundays looking at each one of these vital signs a little more deeply uh, as God's Spirit leads. So this, again, is just kind of like an introductory message and I've spoken on these things before, but since we're talking about it in the, in the illustration of health, it really became clear to me as I was praying about it. I really felt the Lord saying, yeah, these are vital signs. So here's vital sign number one. There needs to be a willingness on the part of we as followers of Christ in his church to continually learn and to be taught. Now, the vital sign is there has to be preaching and teaching that is in accordance with God's written word. That is a vital sign. If that is not happening, the church will not be healthy. If the church does not put a primary emphasis on the teaching and the preaching of the written word of God, not compromising it, taking it and then applying it to our daily life in relevant ways, because it is relevant, it actually is, and understanding how to apply it in ways that help us to be uh, better and more helpful in the culture, but also glorifying to God. If that's not happening, the pulse rate begins to just slow down more and more in the life of the church. Now, all of the preaching and teaching in the world, though, doesn't do any good if you don't have a heart that wants to learn. And that's why this has to go together. Because Jesus all the time was talking about these people come near me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So you and I need to have that desire to want to learn. So look at it again in verse 41 there of Acts chapter 2. Those who gladly received his word. Do you gladly listen to messages, teaching from your Sunday school teacher, your life group leader, or where it is? Or is it something you just can't wait till it gets over so you can check it off the box and say, I was, a good, I was a good Christian today. I did my thing. I went to church. I endured the sermon. Mark went a little long again today. Um, or do you gladly receive it and look for ways to apply it? They continued steadfastly. There's, the, there's a vital sign. In the early church, it wasn't just a one-off. They, they steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine. Oh, that's key. You can gloss right over that. The apostles' doctrine. What did the apostles teach about? Christ crucified, died for our sins, risen again. Salvation is only in Christ alone. It was the apostles' doctrine that they listened to. There was plenty of other doctrines back then. Lots of other religious beliefs. Lots of other worldviews. You can listen and entertain all of those if you want. But if you're really going to be vital and healthy, and and if we're going to be vital and healthy as a church, we stay focused on the preaching of Christ and him crucified, risen again, coming again, salvation in him alone, his shed blood. That's the gospel message. And it is good news because our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. I don't know about you, but if my salvation depended on the way I act and on my goodness and ability 
there would be many days that I'd be wondering whether I'd get to heaven or not. But thank God, I'm not saved because of my ability. I'm saved because of his ability. That's why I call him Savior. I don't know about you. But if we didn't need to be saved, then we don't have any business calling him a Savior. We'd call him our helper or whatever. But Christ is our Savior. We rely totally on him. He is the one that saves us. So what do we do here at Porterfield to emphasize this vital uh, sign of teaching and preaching the word of God? Well, one of the big things that we do, and I just wanna promote it again today, is Right Now Media. If you have not signed up for Right Now Media, I strongly encourage you to do it. You can email the church office. Pastor Eric will help get you signed up. It's something that we as a church pay a subscription to. Um, so it is something that when you put money in the plate and you give, that's a portion of that it helps with all the other things that we do and provide. But we as a church purchase that subscription and then at a rate that allows us with the size we are right now. And then any of you can get on it, no cost to you. And on Right Now Media, it's basically like Netflix for Christians. So there's all kinds of good biblical teaching it's used in our life groups and Sunday school classes. I've enjoyed watching uh, many different teachings on it. I know Pastor Eric, our staff has. Um, and in fact, see, it's been a while since I've had young kids in the home, but I mentioned about our grandkids being uh, with us. And I rem remembered Eric talking about, there's a lot of good kid stuff on there. Well, my grandkids, thankfully our daughter doesn't let them have a lot of screen time, wise woman. But when she does, it's limited. And so, you know, we were getting on Netflix and watching some of the cartoon stuff on there. And I mean, some of those cartoons literally had a lot of religious overtones. You know, it had to do with Egyptian gods and goddesses and fighting all this stuff. And I watched a couple of those with kids and I'm like, you know, kids, let's check something else out. <laughs> and I got on Right Now Media and I started showing them all the stuff and they got excited. And that's, that's what they watched the rest of the time. They, they was like, oh, this is cool. And the amazing thing is in a lot of those cartoons and those animated things, they're talking about the word of God and godly principles, Christian principles. So that's just one way that as a church, we can continue in relevant ways to make sure the word of God is being taught and applied. But it's also hopefully in the Sunday messages, what we're trying to do here. I know Pastor Eric, myself, Adam, uh, Tricia, anybody that's involved here, we want to teach the word of God. So it's on Sunday messages that is live streamed on Facebook and YouTube and then archived on YouTube, our Sunday school classes. In fact, next Sunday, Pastor Eric's gonna be talking about the importance of life groups. And that's one of the ways that you can get plugged in, learn um, in ways that are applicable to your particular life situation. So I hope you'll come back next Sunday and, and listen and be ready to get involved. If you're not in a small group or a life group, just come with an open spirit, heart, and we would encourage you to get plugged in. All right, second thing that's a vital statistic or a vital sign, I keep saying statistic, but it's a sign and we do can't keep statistics on the signs. But anyway, it's loving care. So the first is a willingness to learn and then the importance of teaching and preaching because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but there has to be loving care provided in the church. So we see that in verse 44, all who believed were together had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You gotta remember, this is not talking about communal living where everybody just abandoned, they became like hippies, you know, and just lived together in a commune. But what it's talking about in that culture, they didn't have welfare, 
They didn't have social security. They didn't have a lot of things here in America that the government has set up that, that's kind of like a safety net in some ways. And so when these people stepped out of their culture that they were in and became a Christian, many of them lost their jobs. They were persecuted. People were like, I don't wanna work with them anymore. They're a nut job, they're a religious nut job or whatever. Or if they didn't worship Caesar, because a lot of people in, the, in Rome was required to worship Caesar. So it created a hardship on the church. And so the church was saying, what can we do to help each other out? So everybody chipped in. You know, it was a little more than having a yard sale or a garage sale, but it was kind of like that. People were sharing, saying, hey, we're blessed. We've got enough, so let's take what we have. We'll sell it. We'll take the proceeds. We'll give it to help this person over here in the church because they're going through a tough time. They lost their job, and they're part of the family now. This is what was going on in the church. It was loving, genuine, authentic care for one another with their daily needs. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, here's another thing. Interesting in this culture, here's a group of people that are saying the culture's headed the wrong way. We're gonna follow Christ. We're becoming his church. We're worshiping together. We're studying the word together. We're taking care of each other. And people outside were looking at that and going, that's pretty attractive. That's pretty neat. I wonder what that's all about. And so they began to check out and listen to the word of God being taught and their hearts were touched and they got saved and became part of God's family in his church. This is how God works. But again, we've all got to work together. It cannot be the pastor or the staff doing the work of the church for the church. We are not your hired professionals to do your work for you. Sorry to disappoint you. And if you don't like that, well, then you should have gotten rid of me about 19 years ago. But think about it, in, in the size of the congregation, even with those that are gathered here, those that were here at the first service, those that aren't able to be here because of shift work and all those things, the size of this congregation, if I would set a goal that every single day I'm gonna call at least one person in the church to make a personal contact, do you realize that if I would stick to that and every day do that, in a year's time, I wouldn't be able to make it around to everybody. It'd take me probably two years at least, maybe more. And the person that I called at first is gonna be going, it's been two years since I've heard from Pastor Mark. How terrible. He just doesn't care at all. But that's what you get in the life of the church. Everybody feel, and you are important. You absolutely are important, but it is impossible for me or Pastor Eric or the staff or the deacons, even with the staff that we have, there's no way we can all minister to you at all times when you need it. That's why he designed the church. You are to minister to each other. We're to encourage you, we're to be role models. So certainly I do visit in hospitals and I do call and I wanna do whatever I can, as much as I can to be a good example, but it's impossible for me or the staff to do all that. So we're encouraging you, take care of each other. I just wanna ask you a question. Do you know the person to your left or right? Aha, uh -huh, I know if you're with family, yes. But do you know the person or the people sitting in front of you or behind you? Oh, here's a challenge. How about you folks over here? How many do you know over here? What is that? Maybe 40 feet? I don't know. 40 feet away? Seriously, you don't know them? Come here every Sunday? How about you folks over here? Do you know them? How about you? <laughs> do you all know these people? Do you know these people? You see my point? 
I don't know what he said. I'm going to leave it alone. (laughs) Here's my point. Take the time to get to know each other. You're coming in. You're getting in your routine. You're in your little bubble. And God says you need to care for each other. So take the time to introduce yourself to someone you don't know. And if somebody does that to you today, don't roll your eyes and go, oh, he's trying to be Pastor Mark. trying Trying to please Pastor Mark. Be gracious. Get to know each other. You might be amazed at the things that you have in common with each other and how you could help someone that I would have no clue how to help them with. Because you all have been through stuff I've not been through and vice versa. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, not to do the works of service for the people, to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's church health. And until we get there, we're not gonna be fully healthy. So we need to continue to focus on loving care. The third vital sign of life in the church and health is inspiring worship. When we gather together communally in this room, there ought to be something that inspires you in some way. Oftentimes it's the music and we are blessed with the music ministry here. I appreciate that. So hopefully you get some inspiration from the music. Hopefully you get some inspiration from some of these messages and the teaching. Maybe you get inspired just by getting in a conversation with somebody else here at church and developing a friendship or being amazed at something you learn of how God has worked in their life. Their inspiration comes in different ways. So when you hear this term, inspiring worship, don't limit it only to music. Music's important, Tracy. And praise me. It it is, it really is, and we, we appreciate you. But worship is more than music. It's how you live, it's your relationship, it's the worth that you assign to the one that you claim to be worshiping. So hopefully, and if that's not happening, then the church isn't healthy. Outreach. That's the fourth vital sign. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And remember then Peter, as he spoke, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, repent, turn to Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that was not just limited to the apostles back then. It's for all of us who open our lives to Christ. And as we are filled with the gift of his Holy Spirit, we are to share the message with others. That's outreach. Don't just keep it to yourself. Look for ways to share it. It's good to begin to do it here in the church where we feel more comfortable talking about Christ. That's a great way to begin to practice talking about your faith and encouraging one another, but don't keep it here. God wants us to reach out beyond these walls, off this hillside, into the mid-Ohio Valley and beyond our borders to tell people about Christ. So we need to look for opportunities to have a conversation with people about Jesus. Uh, You don't have to be preachy. Maybe in the course of working with someone or coming across a situation, you can just share uh, something about what Christ means to you, maybe how he's helped you through a similar situation. Sometimes it could be a question to say, hey, you know, I, you know, I go to church, I'm just curious, uh, 
what do you think about Jesus? I know that could really be a dangerous question to ask, but those are ways you can ask questions that can generate a conversation. And then if they say they don't believe in Jesus or they don't believe in God, don't get freaked out and say, I'm never talking to you again. Just just listen, it's okay. Because we've all been at different places in our faith journey and our understanding. But if we can't just listen to each other and have an honest conversation, then again, we're not healthy and we're not healthy as a church. So we've got to make sure that we're continuing this outreach. And then the fifth one, and I'll kind of finish up, wrap it up with this one, is integration. Because once you have reached out um, and people accept Christ and they want to come in, then you need to make sure that you're looking for ways to get them plugged in and integrated into the family of God where we worship into the body of Christ. So look again at verses 41 and 42. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Talk about a challenge. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. By the way, prayer is absolutely a vital sign uh, for the health of the church. It ought to be without saying, but that's really like breathing. If there's no respiratory, it's dead. You know, you're dead. So prayer is like that breathing. Uh, that's absolutely a vital sign. A church that doesn't pray, is, it's just not a church because prayer is communication with God. It's listening to God. It's talking to God. It's, it's communing with him in the spirit. So prayer is absolutely um, part of that vital sign. But look at what it says about how these, all of these people were integrated. Fellowship, they were spending time together. They got to know each other. They, they broke bread together. I believe that does mean in some ways communion. They shared communion together, communion meal. But I think it was even on a more ongoing basis than that. Just day in, day out, they, they ate together. They had lunch together. They, they went to each other's homes. They shared meals. That was part of this communal meal. It was part of that whole thing of belonging and having discussions. And so they spent time together. This is integration. So again, I encourage you, if you're just attending Porterfield on Sunday mornings, I'm glad uh, you're welcome here. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. I really am. It encourages me when, when I see seats filled and all of that. But he wants more than that from you. God wants more than that. He wants you to begin to get integrated, get to know other people, begin to get involved, grow with us, serve with us, learn with us, because this is what a healthy church is and does. So these are what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, few weeks, maybe a month or two. We'll see how the Lord leads. But I think it's so important that we keep looking forward because God is the God of the past and he's absolutely the God of the present, but he is the God of the future. And I believe that if we will have these vital signs and we stay focused on improving these vital signs, um, we'll be a long way toward being healthy. Now, I'm just going to, I hadn't planned this, but I'm going to check my heart rate here. See if it's any better. Eh, 129. <laughs> it came down a little bit. I'm still getting my spiritual workout. Paul Sox is 97, so. But just like that silly little thing there, that's what we need to be doing every day in your own personal life. What's your spiritual health like? Are you, run, are you checking your vital signs every day at home? or in your job, or with your family. And we need to keep doing this as a church. So you probably will not, uh, or you will hear this many more times again in the future. So recap real quick, and then we're gonna pray. Put that, oh, there it is. Vital signs of a healthy church. Number one, proclaiming, teaching, and learning. A willingness to learn God's word through his Holy Spirit. Loving care, 
We're looking for ways to take care of one another, encourage one another, inspiring worship. We need to see and feel and experience God's Holy Spirit at work in many different ways. Outreach, we need to keep making sure that we're looking at how we can be Christ's ambassadors, his representatives in the world and looking out to touch others with his message and love. And then when people respond and they come to Christ, how are we gonna integrate them into the life of the church? Because they're part of the family now. I go back to my daughter, I hadn't planned on this, but, and many of you who have adopted children, you, you know this, but when our son-in-law and daughter wanted to adopt these children, they adopted a young man, first of all, he's now 13, and then they adopted three siblings, and uh, they're different ages, three, four, and 10. And though they have been adopted, we love them. They're, they're family. I mean, they're welcome in our home, Oh yeah, they stayed in her home, whole family, two big dogs. That's how I got this thing on my lip, this big old dog was so excited to see me, jumped up and clawed my mouth. But yeah, so that's a scar of love right there. <laughs> but seriously, this is, God, this is how God feels about us. If you will respond to his love, you're born again, you're adopted into his family, you become part of the family and we all gotta make room. We all gotta make room for you. And I'm gonna listen to you and we're gonna close right now. So let's all stand. <laughs> Don't you love kids? I do. I listen to everybody, folks. It doesn't matter what age you are. They said it was time to end. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. I pray that people see this is real and authentic. It's not fake. It's, it's where we're at. It's where I'm at. And Lord, it's led by your spirit. So you alone are the one that can touch a heart, touch a mind, change a worldview. And Lord, I trust you in your work. Just help us to respond in the way that you want and help us right now to make that personal for each one of us. Not thinking about everybody else, but how am I supposed to respond? Help us to ask that question and then help us to respond by the power of your Holy Spirit in the right way. And it all begins with praying and asking you to forgive us and to receive you, Jesus, as our Savior and the only hope of heaven. Thank you for doing that. And I pray for any here today that might be praying that prayer and making that decision right now. Bless them, encourage them, and then help us, Lord, to integrate uh, them into the life of your body as your born again and adopted sons and daughters in Jesus' name, amen.